Good morning, everyone. What a blessing to be able to come together and worship the Lord and uh, spend some time looking into His Word. We're going to be in Romans 1 again this morning, as you could tell from the reading, uh, and I hope that you'll have your Bible open with you to Romans 1, verses 8 through 17. You know, the world that Paul lived in and when he was writing Romans was a world that was consumed with the subject of power. Uh, power was a thought that everybody had in their minds just about all the time. They all lived under the might of imperial Rome, and uh, nobody was happy about that, but it was just reality. They were living under somebody else's power. There were millions of people who uh, worshipped and practiced uh, occult religions where they were subject to all kinds of occult powers, and, and they sought those powers to give them strength in their own lives. The Jews, of course, worshipped a God who had acted powerfully to deliver them in the past, and they, they hoped that he would do so again. And in the midst of it all, the average person felt and, and was pretty much powerless. They just didn't have much that they could do about the situation in which they lived, and they were helpless because all the power was held by others, and they must have felt like pawns in a game being played by somebody else. They were just pieces being moved about. Didn't really have any say-so in much of anything. I wonder if we don't sometimes today feel the same. I wonder if today we don't think a lot about power. You know, we speak a lot about empowerment, don't we? Don't we? We're going to empower people who are... Uh, struggling. We're going to empower people who are powerless. We talk a lot about power. We worry about power. We're concerned about the power of nations other than our own. And we wonder if their power might not exceed ours and if they might not someday use that power in a way that would be harmful to us. Are we as strong as we need to be militarily? We wonder. Are we as strong as we need to be economically? We know we're not strong morally, and so we worry about power. And people today, just like then, are practicing all kinds of occult arts in unprecedented numbers for the same reasons. They're trying to tap into some kind of power that will put them in touch and give them some kind of strength that they don't feel that they now have. We live with a strong sense that those in power politically and financially, do not have our best interest at heart, but we really can't do a lot about it. Technology is becoming more and more of a power, and who knows who's controlling that, and who knows for what ends they're controlling it. Millions live enslaved to powers that we call addictions, and that does not get better, it just gets worse. We don't seem to know what to do about it, and people seem to be out of control and under the powers of substances and habits. And many still feel helpless as if they're living by remote control and somebody else is holding the controls. On the other hand, there are people who are so full of themselves, they, they feel that they have the money and the technology, which, by the way, are the currency of worldly power. They have that currency of worldly power and they believe that that puts them in control. And so they don't they don't look for any other power in their lives. They think they are the power in their lives. They think they have all the power 
that anybody needs. So both in Paul's day and in our own day, people need the good news that the gospel of Christ is about power. Even more than that, Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 16, not that it's just about power, but that it is power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he said, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I want you to notice at the beginning of verse 16 the word for. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel's power is the reason Paul wanted to preach it even to people who'd already heard it. Look at Romans 1.15 when he says, that's why I've been so eager to come to you in Rome that I might preach the gospel to you. These people had already heard it. But as we just sang, those who know the story best love to hear it the most. We can never hear the story of the gospel too many times. We can never hear it too often. We can never appreciate it too much. And so Paul was eager to preach that powerful message to those who had, had already heard. The gospel is such good news because it means that we have the power of God available to us as we make our way through a world that's gone mad with its own power. And people need to know and they want to know that life does not have to be out of control we don't have to yield to negative spiritual forces. We don't have to yield to our addictions. We can live lives as God intended. There's power in that. There's power in that knowledge that we don't have to submit to the powers that are at work in this world. You know, Christianity is not, as some people envision it, simply moralism. Moralism simply means you tell people, this is what you ought to do. Now go do it. And that's the way a lot of people think about Christianity, but it's not that. It's not just us saying, or the Bible saying, this is what you ought to do, now go do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, strengthen yourself, and go do what you need to do. That's moralism. Instead of that, Christianity offers people the power that they don't have so that they can do what they need to do. One writer put it this way. He said, the power of the gospel is not that of mystical affiliation uh, or of a mere direction to salvation. I love that. It's not just directions to salvation. It's not just signposts saying, go that way and you'll be okay. It's not just giving directions. He says it is the power of the word of the cross. It grants salvation by liberating us from the power of darkness and putting us in the kingdom of God's dear son. That's power, folks, to liberate us from the dominion of darkness and put us into the kingdom of God's dear son. That's what Paul says in the letter to the Colossians. The gospel has the power to do that. Leon Morris in his commentary on Romans has written that the gospel is not advice to people, suggesting that they lift themselves up. It is power. It lifts them up. The gospel is power. Now, we might wonder in the beginning of this letter, why does Paul describe the gospel that way? Why does he not say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is a wonderful message? Why does he not say that the gospel is the best philosophy that's ever come to the world? Why does he not say that the gospel is the best set of instructions that's ever been handed down? Why does he speak about power? 
And the first reason why he does is because, as he says, it is God's own power. It's not just some power. It's God's power. It is the power of the God that created the universe. It's the power of the God who delivered Israel from bondage. It's the power that has brought down kingdoms. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's now available to us in the gospel of Christ. If you look at Romans 1 and verse 20, a little beyond where where we're looking today, Paul said that God's eternal power is one of the, the two attributes that people ought to be able to tell about God simply by looking at creation. It ought to be evident, he said of God's eternal nature and his divine power, his eternal power and divine nature. People should just be able to look at the world around them and see the universe that God has created and know that God is a God of power. He must be a God of power. In chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, which you heard read a few minutes ago, Paul says that nothing in all the universe has the power to separate us from God's Love in Christ. There is nothing that can separate us, he says. Neither height nor depth. No principalities, no powers, no no occult powers. No powers of the universe, no powers of darkness, no, no powers of death. In other words, I think what Paul is saying there, because he, he multiplies uh, his statements about all the things that cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. Is he saying, listen, folks, whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're afraid of, it can't separate you from the love of God in Christ. Are you afraid of the future? Are you, are you afraid that the, the world is somehow going to burn itself out? Are you afraid that we're somehow going to burn it out? Are you afraid of the death that you know is coming to us all? Are you afraid of your own weakness? Are you afraid of your own inability to be the person that you want to be? None of that, Paul says, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can do that because of the power of the gospel. In chapter 9 and verse 17, Paul writes that God raised up Pharaoh that I might show my power in you. He was showing his power in Pharaoh. When he delivered Israel out of bondage in Egypt, what was he doing? He was showing who was the real God. Pharaoh thought he was a God. The Egyptians thought he was a God. They thought the Nile was a God. They thought those frogs were gods. They thought those bugs that came up out of the sand were gods. All those things they thought were gods. And one by one, God shows them who's the real God. How? By exercising his power. God showed his power in delivering his people. In Romans eleven twenty three, 23, Paul says that even though Israel has been cut off because of unbelief, God has the power to graft them in again. If they repent and if they turn to Christ, he says he can graft them in again. They can't have gone too far away that he doesn't have the power to bring them back and to graft them in again. The gospel is power. It is God's power. But here's the other reason Paul speaks about the gospel as power. It's because sin is power. Sin is a power. 
If you don't remember anything else from what I say this morning, I hope you'll remember this. Until we have an adequate understanding of the power of sin, we'll never appreciate the power of the gospel. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that people don't appreciate the power of the gospel today is because they don't understand the power of sin. You know, we're living in a world that basically denies there is any such thing as sin. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as absolute wrong and absolute right, people say. It's just whatever is my truth and your truth and whatever I think is right and whatever you think is right. And everybody just goes their own way. How's that working for us? How is that working for us? The reality is, is that we all live under the power of sin. And until we recognize that power, then we'll never have an understanding of the gospel. Our definition of sin in the church generally is based only on 1 John 3, 4. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 says sin is lawlessness, end of discussion. That, that's just kind of the Sunday school answer. When somebody says, what's sin? Sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the rules. It's breaking God's rules. It's doing things that we ought not to do. And so we, we come to think of sin as all these isolated acts of wrongdoing. You know that 90% of the time, okay, 89% of the time, I'm doing right. But then that other 10% or 11%, you know, I, I do wrong. That's sin. Okay, that's how we come to think of sin. And it's true that sin is the transgression of God's law. But it's so much more than that. That's not the whole picture of sin. In Romans 3 and verse 9, Paul said, I have already charged that all men, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. That's why they need the gospel, because they're under the power of sin. And the Jews must have read that and said, are you kidding me? We live under the law of God. And Paul writes, and he says, yes, but not very well. Not very well. And you've sinned too, and so have the Gentiles. And so everybody's under the power of sin and needs the power of the gospel. Now, this discussion about sin as power comes out most eloquently in Romans 7. And I want to encourage you when you go home today to sit down with your Bible and read through Romans chapter 7 and think about what sin really is. Sin is a power that lives within all of us. Paul comes that close to personifying it. Listen to what he says in Romans 7, verses 8 and 11. He said, sin seizes an opportunity through the commandment, talking about God's own law, the commandment. Sin seizes an opportunity. Sin deceives us, he says. Sin kills us. Folks, that's a long way beyond 1 John 3, 4, isn't it? That's not just me breaking a rule every now and then. That's the fact that there's a power resident within me that will kill me. If I let it. Unless I have the power of the gospel. He says it deceives us and it kills us. How does that work? Have you ever noticed that telling somebody not to do something makes them want to do it? Yeah, those of you that have little kids or have had little kids, you understand that, don't you? There's some things you just don't bring up because if you bring it up, they're going to go do it. So you just hope they don't notice. Have you ever watched when there's a wet paint sign on a wall? <laughs> wet paint, do not touch. There's always going to be somebody who comes along and looks at that. Doesn't look wet to me. 
I don't believe it is wet. I got to touch it and find out. If that sign hadn't been there, you wouldn't have thought anything about it. That's the way law works. That's the way law produces sin, Paul says. The commandment says, don't do this, and we think, oh, why not? Isn't that the way it worked in the very first instance in the garden? God said, don't touch that, that tree, and the devil came along, and he says, is that really what he said? You think he really meant that? Don't you think maybe there's some benefits from eating of that fruit? And so they did. In Romans 7, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, sin dwells within me it dwells within me and it causes us to do what we don't want to do in verse 20 he says it is no longer I that do it but sin that dwells within me and in verse 23 he says sin makes me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What is he talking about? Did you ever find yourself doing exactly the opposite of what you wanted to do? Did you ever find yourself doing exactly the opposite of what you knew was right? Thinking about saying something and thinking, I shouldn't say that, and then you say it anyway. Being tempted to do something and you think, that's not right, I shouldn't do that, and you do it anyway. That's what Paul's talking about. It is the law of sin within our members. We have all those good intentions that we want to do better spiritually. We want to be better spiritually, and somehow we don't. Why is that? Why is that? It's the power of sin. But the gospel changes all of that. Paul writes in chapter 7, verse 24, through chapter 8 and verse 2. Wretched man that I am, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Although I find this law at work within me, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I've been emancipated, he says, from the law of sin and death. Does that mean Paul was never tempted again? I doubt it. I doubt it. I think it just means that when Paul was tempted, he found spiritual strength. Or even when he was tempted to the point of sin, he found the ability to repent and to change that. How does, how does the gospel change that wretchedness that we find ourselves under? One way is because it, we are forgiven of things we can't change. You know, any of us that have lived very long can look back on our lives and, and think about things that are just painful to remember. That we would just give anything if we hadn't done that or we hadn't said that. But you can't unsay it. And you can't undo it. You cannot change what's already done. But you can be forgiven of it. And that's the power of the gospel. That's stage one, is getting forgiveness of the things that we can't change. Because in Christ, God doesn't hold our sins against us, no matter how bad those sins are. But then he goes beyond that, because then we have the power to resist 
the flesh. The flesh is Paul's terminology for that tendency within us that pulls us away from God. That's where the sin, where sin operates, is in the flesh. Pulls us away from God. Has us doing things that we don't want to do, that God doesn't want us to do, according to Romans 7. And in chapter 8 and verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. If that's your life from beginning to end, you just choose to follow the flesh, which is what most people in the world do. Most people in the world are just following what they want to do. And when they talk about my truth and what I think is right, that's just what they do. They're following the flesh. That's all that is. And Paul says, if you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, when you turn to Christ, God puts his Spirit within you and gives you power. He not only forgives your sins, but he gives you power. Remember what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and when the people cried out and said, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's get that out of the way. Let's clean all that up, he says. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? So that you can have the power to resist the flesh. So that you can have the power to live for God. So that your life can be different. It can be changed. You cannot do it by yourself. But you can do it by the Spirit. You can do it by God's power within you. Now, here's what Paul was preaching. And here's what we need to be telling our, our sin-addicted world today. First of all, you cannot overcome sin by yourself. But because of the gospel, you don't have to. You can't overcome sin by yourself, but because of the gospel, you have to. Listen, folks, you can't talk about the gospel without talking about sin. We've tried it for too long. We've tried to approach people and say, oh, you can have a better life. You can know the love of God. Isn't that great? You can see butterflies all over the place. Everything, life's just going to be beautiful. We don't want to talk to them about sin. People will never know the power of the gospel until they know the power of their own sin and repent of it. No way that they'll ever turn to Christ for the gospel until they understand their own sin. We've got to help people understand the reality of sin. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, the word literally, the Greek word is powerless. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We couldn't do anything about it. We were lost in sin. That power that Paul describes in Romans 7 has overwhelmed us, and we couldn't do anything to get rid of it. We couldn't change the past. We couldn't get forgiveness of the past. We couldn't do anything about it. And then while we were helpless, Christ died for us. He brought his power to bear on our powerlessness. You may be able to stop a particular behavior on your own. A lot of people do. A lot of people stop doing things that they shouldn't do on their own. But you can't get your own forgiveness. You can't get your own forgiveness. You need Jesus' blood for that. And you can't get the Holy Spirit on your own. 
So part of the message that we need to be telling people is that they cannot overcome sin by themselves. Well, by the power of the gospel, they can. The second thing we need to be telling them is that there's not any sin that the gospel can't free you from. Not any sin that the gospel can't free you from. People get themselves in some pretty horrible messes. And they seem to be sometimes just possessed by their sinfulness. And we look at that and we think that's hopeless. There's nothing that can be done. When we think that way, we're not thinking in terms of the gospel. Because the gospel says that there is nothing that God cannot forgive. And there is nothing that God's power cannot free us from. So nobody's beyond hope. Because of the power of the gospel, people are not ever hopeless. Listen, if the power of the God that created the world is also operative in the gospel, as Paul says, it is the power of God for salvation. If the power that created the world is operative in the gospel of Christ, then there isn't anything in your life that God can't free you from. Not anything. There's not anything in your life not any sin so strong that has such a powerful hold on you that God can't break it. We have two needs as the church. We need to start believing that. And we need to start telling it. We need to be convinced of it that everybody can be freed from the power of sin. And then we need to go to sinners and tell them they can be free. Instead of avoiding people because we think they're beyond hope. That's what the devil wants them to think. That's what they already think. When you try to talk to some people about changing, it's like you're speaking a different language. They can't even imagine being able to do it. But we just need to keep telling them, God loves you. And he showed that by giving his son to die on the cross for your sins. And his power can set you free. That's the message of the gospel. Notice at the beginning of Romans 1 verse 16, before Paul speaks about God's power, he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Every time I read that, I think, Paul, you're, you're sort of joking in a way. Not ashamed? Of course he wasn't ashamed. He was absolutely thrilled about the gospel. He couldn't have been prouder of the gospel and of the opportunity to preach the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. He was thankful that he'd been saved by it. He said, I was the worst of sinners. I was locked into a pathway that was going to lead me straight to hell. And Christ broke that. And now he says, I'm telling, I'm telling you. He was honored to proclaim a message that could bring such hope to a world that was mired in its own sin. You know, the world tries to make us embarrassed about the gospel, doesn't it? The world tries to make us feel that we're foolish for believing in the gospel. The world tries to make us ashamed of a message that speaks about people's sin and its consequences. You're not supposed to talk about that. 
the great theologian Oprah Winfrey <laughs> several years ago said the only sin is to say that somebody else is a sinner. Think about that. She just said it. That all of us are sinners. The world wants us to think that we shouldn't talk about sin. That we should be ashamed of a message that speaks about sin and about the consequences of sin. That tells people that they're lost and need to change. The world says you should be ashamed of a message that is so narrow that says the only way to find God and to be forgiven of your sins is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The world wants us to be ashamed about that and not say it. It's a message that to some sounds so old and tired and so wrong and so, so counterintuitive. And they don't want to hear it. But don't listen to the world. Listen to God. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Of course they don't like it. Of course they don't admire us for believing it. They're dying. They're perishing. They don't want to hear it. And so the word of the cross is folly to them. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To them it's foolishness. To us it is power. Be thankful for the gospel. Be proud of the gospel. Be grateful for any opportunity to tell that powerful message to others because it is their only hope. Here's the question I leave with you this morning. Is the power of the gospel at work in your life today? Yes or no? Have you turned to Christ in repentance of your sins, trusting in the power of his blood to wash your sins away? And confessing that you believe he is God's son. And being baptized into union with him. To have your sins washed away. So you can lead a completely different kind of life. No matter what your life has been before. Is the gospel operative in your life by its power today? If it isn't, it can be before you leave this place. All you need to do is come up here and tell us that's what you desire to do. And we'll walk you through it. Or all you need to do is come see me after the service is over and say, I want to talk to you about that. And I'll, I'll sit down with you and I'll show you in scripture. I'll walk you through it. I'll help you see it. I'll try to answer any questions that you might have. But don't turn away from the power of the gospel. You need it. We all do. And if you're ready to receive it, do it today. Let's stand and sing.